Good morning. Man, wasn't it cool? I love to see uh, people training and learning and honing their skills. Noah is one of our guys here at Community, but so cool to see him lead worship, and that, that's a thing that he wants to do for his future, absolutely. <laughs> Noah, great job, man. Love having you do that. And he's been part of the band for a while, but great to see him stepping out and, and uh, developing those skills. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an issue with something mechanical? <laughs> now, have you ever had to take it to a mechanic and explain what was happening? You know what? My car is doing, you make the noise, whatever your car has been doing. You know, eat, er, ah, squeak, crunch, you know, grind, whatever it is. And you try to explain it to the mechanic. And, and they say, okay, well, thanks. We'll keep it for a few days. We'll figure it out. And then a few days later, they call you and they say, it runs perfectly. We can't find anything wrong with, with, with this vehicle. Has that ever happened to anybody else? You know, you know it's messed up, and you know that they probably know that it's messed up, but just because they can't find it, they say that it's not messed up. I had that happen to me over the past few weeks with a zero-turn mower. And, um, you know, I mean, we, we bought, I bought it used last year, and it runs great, and it cuts great, and it is great. But last year, I went to cut our three-acre yard that we had purchased because I thought that was going to be peaceful, which you find out three acres is a whole lot of yard to have to cut. Anyway, we, I went to, to cut our yard last year, and, I, and I'd cut it, and I'd get off, shut it down, open the gates to pull it, to put it away in our backyard, and then nothing. It wouldn't turn. It wouldn't, no noise whatsoever. No power completely dead. Well, this year I broke out the mower because you've got to break out the mower when your grass is this tall at this point and, and tried to cut the grass and it started and it did great, but it did the same exact thing. I shut it down to open the gates to put it away and it wouldn't start again. So I called my buddy John. He said, I got a great mechanic. I'll, I'll pick it up and, and take it to him. And I'm so thankful for, for John Carroll for, for doing that for me and, and, and what a great friend. And so he did that. I said, hey, just in case, why don't you change, have him change the oil, sharpen the blades, you know, make sure the fuel pump is changed, the fuel, whatever you need to do, to, do to, to, to get it running really well. He said, great. He brought it back to me. He said, I couldn't find that issue you were having with it, and the mechanic couldn't find it either. So here it is. Let's just assume everything's good. So I got on as soon as he dropped it off, and I cut the grass. Went back to the gate, stopped, shut it down, turned it off, opened the gate, got back on the mower, and nothing. <sighs> so I called John again. He said, I'll come and get it later this week, and we'll take it back over, and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out what, what exactly is, is happening with it. I said, man, thank you so much for, for doing that for me. And, and uh, so he takes it. He said, we couldn't find anything wrong with it. He said, the mechanic even cut three other people's yards with your mower trying to find it. He couldn't, won't, won't do it. We don't know what it is. And so he dropped it off and thinking, okay, well, maybe it's fixed. And I cut the yard again. The exact same thing happened. Somebody said, leave the gate open next time. You don't have to worry about it. That's probably what I should have done. 
Same thing happened, dead. And so it sat there in front of my gate for three days. I figured, I, I, I can't do this. My wife's going, just buy a new mower. I can't afford a new mower. I bought this one last year. It's a great mower. And then I decided I've got to figure this out. So I dug into it, started, started, started digging in, started trying to figure out what it could be and, and what was happening. And I took that frustration and, 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 and I asked questions and I dug deep into the right places until I got some answers. And guess what? It's running! Now, if you know me, you know that's a major miracle. God just did that because I am not mechanically inclined whatsoever. So, so, so God did all that, but it's, it's interesting how that works, right? It's the same way that our faith works. Our lives are messed up, and we try everything to get the problems worked out. But until you're fed up, until you're so frustrated that you can't stand it anymore, until you're ready to ask questions in the right places and dig deep into the one who can change you, your life will never turn around. You have to be at that point before it does. So how do we do that? Well, for the mower, I used Google, mower blogs, and YouTube. All right, and I, I figured out what, what it was, all right? And so, so that was good. For our personal lives, I used the Bible, the church, and Jesus. Now understand, those are the places that we find answers. It's interesting because whenever you're truly searching for answers, they're there to be found. We just have to be at the point where we're willing to look in the right place and to dig them out. It's, it's great to see how Jesus use the Bible to answer a lot of questions for, for people. I mean, he directly quotes so many Old Testament scripture. He uses the Bible to defend himself whenever he's in an argument. He just quotes scripture. He, he got through the temptations by quoting scripture. If you want your life to turn around, guess what you have to do? You have to start reading. You have to start memorizing you have to start using those words that God has put there for us. Now, I understand that's challenging, all right? I understand that means you've got to brush the, brush the dust off of the Bible, open it up, and actually read a few things in there. I understand it means that you need to memorize a few things in there. Let me ask you a question. If you're struggling, how much do you know that you can use against whatever's coming at you? Have you memorized any scriptures? Have you read the Bible ever? What do you know about it? It might be a reason why you're not getting the help that you need. Now, we need to understand that the scripture that Jesus was quoting was Old Testament. All right? That, that's the Old Testament. That's something that, that a lot of us are just going, man, I'm uh, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to figure that out. But it's the Old Testament. And because Jesus uses it, it validates it. It means it's important. Because I want to model my life after Jesus. What Jesus did, I want to do. And Jesus used the Old, scripture, Old Testament Scripture. So that validates it. And because Jesus believed it, I believe it. So what about the New Testament? That's Matthew through Revelation. What about that? The New Testament was what Jesus was living as he's teaching the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament is all about Jesus while he's here on this earth. 
The, the Bible is a library. Remember how many books are in the Bible? 66 books. We had a little controversy on this last week. How many Old Testament books? Don't put it up yet. How many Old Testament? 39. How many New Testament books? 27. If you can do a little bit of math, you got that, all right? 39, 27, 66. We got it. All right, there are 40 different authors. It was written on three different continents in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, but it has this incredible unity about it. I mean, if you want to look for discrepancies in the Bible, places where it contradicts itself, you're hard-pressed to find anything. You can create a couple things, and you can make a few things seem like they're contradictory, but in reality, when you study them, they're not. All right? So how can we still use a book that was written thousands of years ago? We use it because it's true. It just is true. Just because something is old doesn't mean it's not valued anymore. Doesn't mean it's not important anymore. Doesn't mean that it's not true anymore. And we need to hold on to that. Read through it sometime. You're going to figure out when you read through the Scripture that there's an answer to any situation that you're dealing with in your life. And I mean any situation. You may not like the answer, but the answer is there. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. And I have people tell me all the time, listen, Scott, I believe Jesus. I think he's a great teacher. I love his teaching. I just don't buy into the Bible thing. I mean, I just don't buy into it. Let me be very plain with you. If you don't buy into the Bible, then you don't buy into Jesus because Jesus was teaching the Bible and Jesus is the New Testament of the Bible. It's the bottom line. You can't say, I believe in Jesus and don't believe in this because Jesus believed it. And if Jesus believed it, you need to believe it. And if Jesus lived it, we need to live it. Acts 2.22 says this, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Jesus' teachings are based on the Scripture. He's either using a direct quote from the Old Testament, a reference to the Old Testament thoughts, or he's summarizing an Old Testament teaching. That's where Jesus got his material from. Because Jesus believed in the Bible, we need to believe in the Bible. I love how he took Old Testament teachings, and then he took everyday life situations, and he combined them into his teaching methods. it's, It's genius. It really is when you look at it. Let's look at a few of the parables that Jesus taught. The first one is Luke 8, 4 through 15, and that's the parable of the seeds, all right? Here's what it says. And when a great crowd came together and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. 
And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trodden underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you listening? Do you understand it? When his disciples asked what this parable meant, he said, this is kind of a tough scripture. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. In other words, you have to be focused on the right things on the kingdom of God to get it. Verse 11. Now the parable in this, the seed, is the word of God. The, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. And they believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now, the people he was speaking to, they got it. Because they were an agricultural society. They lived by the land. They lived by, by the fishing in the sea. They lived by shepherding and, and the flocks that they had. But they understood the, 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 the whole thing with planting and reaping and those kinds of things. Let me ask you a question. Do you get it? Do you understand what he's talking about? Seeds being planted, seeds being scattered. Do you understand that? Well, the answer is yes. I mean, most of us have at least seen a garden. Anybody here gardeners? Yeah. Anybody here just like to eat what everybody else grows? Yeah. That makes sense, right? You know, there's a huge garden at this house that we bought. And this huge garden, when we bought it, was completely overgrown. I mean, there are five rows in this garden that are bricked in, and they're about four feet wide by 30 feet long. So that is a lot of gardening space. And let me tell you, the weeds have overtaken the garden. We're talking this tall. There's nothing planted there right now, just weeds. And they did a great job of growing the weeds in the garden because they're growing really, really well. Now, last, last fall when we got there, we're, we're walking through it, and, and, and it was interesting because there was one, I looked down, there was one zucchini that was this big. We didn't plant it. The former owners didn't plant it. It just decided to grow, you know, in the middle of the weeds and thorns and thistles and junk. It's like that. The biggest zucchini I think I've ever seen. It's like, I hate to even pick this. Because yeah, it's so big and it, and it looks so good. But, but we understand what it means to plant seeds. So Jesus quotes the Old Testament scripture of planting and harvesting in Genesis 1.11. He says this, Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. He used these, these deep spiritual truths 
in very simple ways. Do you get the thing about planting a garden? Yeah, we all get that. We can all relate to that. And Jesus uses that. He says, the seed that you're planting is the Word of God. Jesus believes it. I believe it. The Word of God, it's right there. It's the Scripture. It's the Bible. And when you see that, you have to ask yourself this question. You read through this parable. Which soil are you? Which one? Are, are you the, 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 the seed that falls along the path? Uh, are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and not be saved? Is, is that you? Maybe. You know, maybe that's where you currently are. are. Are you the ones on the rock? Those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but, but they have no root and you believe for a while and then in a time of temptation, you kind of fall away? Is that where you are? Are you what fell among the thorns? Are you one of those that hear, but as you go on your way, you're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and your fruit, what what you're able to do with your life just never matures? Or are you some that fell on the good soil and you grew and you're yielding a hundred times the profit? Is that you? You see, Jesus is asking you which one you are so that you can change. Here's the difference between us and this parable. The parable, they're seeds. They're they're falling where they will. And you get to decide which soil you are in in, in that that parable. But, But listen, you can change which soil you are. The soil in the parable can't change. That's what it is. You're a pathway, you're, you're kind of rocky, you're, you're, you're thorny, you're overgrown, or you're good soil. You, in this life, get to change who you are. You can go from being rocky soil to being good, fertile soil. You can change your life from being unproductive to being incredibly fruitful and productive. The choice is up to you, and Jesus is saying, change I want your life to matter. I want it to count for something. Don't keep living the way you're living. Change so the Word of God can change you to be what you need to be. Jesus goes on to teach another parable, and it's about birds and flowers and how God takes care of them. But don't miss this. He's summarizing scriptures like Psalm 50. It says, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. And now here's Jesus teaching in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Here's the simple connection to this spiritual truth. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not so much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can you? How do you answer that question? Can you add an hour to your life by worrying? Can you change anything by worrying? Anybody a worrier here? Not a warrior, a worrier. That's hard to distinguish between when you say it. You just worry about everything. Doesn't, doesn't even matter what it is. WebMD says this. 
Are you an excessive worrier? Perhaps you unconsciously think that if you worry enough, you can prevent bad things from happening. But the fact is, worrying can affect your body in ways that may surprise you. Worrying is feeling uneasy or being overly concerned about a situation or problem. With excessive worrying, your mind and body go into overdrive as you constantly focus on what might happen. It's not that it's going to happen. It might happen. Things happen every day. You can't control those. Something's going to happen. Okay, it happened. What do you do? Then you deal with it. Then you invite Jesus in in to to give you some answers and support and encouragement. Something's going to happen. But if you worry about it, you wasted your time worrying about something that might not even happen. As a matter of fact, 90% it won't happen. So why are you worrying? Somebody said this, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do without ever getting you anywhere. I like that. Just keep rocking away. Just keep worrying. But you're not moving. You're not changing. You're not growing. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is the key part of this this scripture. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me just tell you this. God's got you. You understand that, right? God's there. He's got you. You have to ask, when was the last time you took the time to stop worrying and just admire how God has painted and created the things around you? When was the last time maybe this week, last week, maybe you haven't done it yet, that you looked at the trees and you saw them go from looking dead to looking alive. The leaves sprouting out. The incredible white and pink flowers on the trees coming out, representing spring. The incredible yellow flowers that are all through my yard popping up. (laughs) Thank you, God, for those. When was the last time you just woke up early and watched the sunrise? When's the last time you watched the sun set and were just in awe by the colors? God takes care of us He's got us. Are you really living or are you just existing, worrying about what might happen? Matthew 4, 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. His message wasn't just about dying someday and going to heaven. That wasn't his message. His message was about living in the kingdom now. 
Are you living? Are you merely existing? You see, the kingdom of heaven is not about dying and going, that's going to be great and I can't wait for that. But if that's all you're living for is to die, then you're missing so much of this life that God wants you to enjoy. And so much of this life that God has a purpose and a plan for you to do something with. Why are you waiting? I love what he says in Matthew 5. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching. And it's all the blessed are things. Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven." For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus looks out as he's teaching and he sees all these people. He's seen the lives that are there, the lives that, that he's changed. And he's going to use their stories along with the scriptures, their pain, along with their situations to teach us some deep truths. I think maybe Jesus pointed to someone in the crowd who was having issues and, and thinking that, you know what, I'm just not good enough to even hear about the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Maybe this guy or, or this woman thought that the people that got into heaven were only the spiritually elite. Maybe that's who they were. The ones who were skilled at jumping through all the religious hoops Jesus said, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people that don't have anything in their spiritual pockets. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. The, the, the doors of the kingdom are open to you. If you don't know anything, God still wants you and you're still invited. Now, do you understand how incredibly radical that is? In Jesus' day, it was all about the hierarchy, how much you knew, how connected you were to God. And if you weren't the right sect, the right people, the right background, get out of here because God doesn't love you. And Jesus is saying, that's not true. Then maybe Jesus turned and saw someone else in the crowd who had a huge hurt in their life. Maybe he pointed to a mom and a dad who had recently buried a child. Maybe he pointed to a widow that just lost her husband. Or maybe he pointed to someone whose marriage just ended. Saw someone that had lost everyone in some type of disaster. People were so sad that they thought nothing could ever comfort them. He points to them and he said, Blessed are you who mourn because you're going to be comforted in my kingdom. When you start following me, I'm going to give you a peace that passes understanding. I want to invite you into a kingdom where there's this supernatural kind of comfort from God because God's a specialist at turning you around. 
And then maybe Jesus looked around and saw some shy people in the crowd, the people that won't look at you when you walk past them. Maybe that's some of you that step off of the sidewalk when somebody's walking down the sidewalk. We, we, we tend to call that as a meek kind of, kind of person. And that's not a, a great definition because that's not what meekness is. But, but maybe you get that idea. We think meek equals weak. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the ones that don't feel like they have it together because I'm going to take care of you. And then maybe Jesus saw some people who were just complete failures and every day they woke up and they lived with this regret. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was there. I can't believe I lived that way. So many regrets and so many mistakes and so much junk. And Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness who wish that you could have that because you're going to be filled. I'm going to provide that for you. And maybe Jesus saw some people that just typically get taken advantage of because they're always showing mercy to everyone around them. No matter what those people do to them, no matter how they treat them, no matter how they live, maybe you're the person that just shows mercy to everyone no matter what. And Jesus says... Blessed are those who just flow out with mercy for the people that are jerks, for the people that are hateful, for the people that are spiteful, because you're going to be shown mercy in the kingdom of God. You're going to be okay. You're going to understand what that means because that's who you are. And you start to get this idea of what's happening in the crowd. Jesus is using person after person after person, after person. Their life situations and Old Testament scriptures to teach deep, deep truths. And please don't miss this. Jesus wants to turn you from where you are into where you need to be. Jesus wants you to live out the exact life that he has planned for you. This productive healthy, vibrant life of impacting everyone around you. He wants you to live that out. But you're not going to do it if you're simply sitting back thinking, God, whatever. I'm not going to search. I'm not going to seek. And I'm not going to find anything about you. I'm just going to live in this state that I'm in and expect something to change but never be willing to let God change you from the inside out. Seek and you'll find it. Jesus says, come to me and I'll take your burdens, I'll take your pain, I'll, I'll take everything in your life that's not okay and I'll turn it into something fantastic. You just have to be willing to do that. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room right now and God, everyone online, may, may you allow them to open up and see you for who you are to see that we're not waiting to die to go to heaven, but God, that we want to live heaven on earth right now, that we want to make an impact, that we want to make a difference. God, allow us to see those differences that we can make. Break us out of where we are and give us new life. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.